I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back with Paul Zeiss for our weekly Zeiss is Right video. Um, Paul, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm a little bit banged up, but I'm good, man. i tell you what. You just don't realize how important your your health or whatever it is uh, until you get there. I fell, I fell on the steps. And uh, my knee is really banged up, man. I can I can barely move it. I couldn't get out of the car. Like I, I, I couldn't put any, I can't put any weight on it. So, other than that, I'm good. But it's amazing, like something like that, how it changes your whole entire outlook. Yeah, I'm 33 now, Paul, and I'm starting to realize I'm not invincible either. So uh, I I totally feel you there. <laughs> um, but we'll try to distract you with some sports talk here. We're going to get into the Desmond King signing by the Steelers. Um, you know, what it means for that secondary at the end of training camp here. Um, they brought him in from the Texans. We're also going to get into some Pirates topics. Specifically, we're going to talk about the pitching in the sorry state that it's in, despite the sweep of, sweep of Kansas City this week. And then we're going to wrap up with some college football talk, previewing Penn State, West Virginia, Pitt, Wofford. Um, those are the topics today. Before we get into that, just want to give a shout out to our presenting sponsor here, Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Paul, let's get right into it here with Desmond King, signed from the Texans. He was an All-Pro in 2018. Um, his pro football focus grades are pretty solid, except for 2021. He had a nice bounce-back season last season. Um, is this a, a big addition? Because I think there's because it's the end of training camp. I think we assume a lot of these guys are just kind of roster filler. But he looks like a pretty solid player to me, Paul. Well, I mean, I think he's obviously better than what they had. That's the that's the most important thing. They added some depth. Clearly, he's a veteran guy, and, and you know, that's that's an important thing, too, because um, it sounds like he's going to have multiple roles. Uh, and, 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 you know, if you have a young player who you're trying to, you know, move from maybe the slot to the outside or if there's an injury or whatever, or, you know, put him in some packages and things of the such. I mean, this guy's been around. He understands and knows how to play and knows how to really play all the positions in, 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 that, in that secondary in terms of what they would be asking him to do. Um. I think it's another one of those end of camp, okay? And and this is something that's been a theme since really the end of the season 
um, when Omar Khan took over is basically let's look at the roster and look to see where we need a little help. And I think what they realized is they don't have enough corners. You know, they just didn't have enough corner depth that they really felt good about. Um, so they went out and found a guy who, you know, for whatever reason was available. I think sometimes people think these guys are cut because they're not good or they're not. Sometimes guys are cut because of their contract, because of the money they make. Sometimes they're cut because it's a team that's just going to try and go with a little bit of a youth movement type thing, right? Um, and I think that's what probably happened here. Um, and I think the Steelers have traditionally been pretty good in the guys they've picked up at the end of camp that those guys have turned into reasonably productive. And I'm not, and I'm not saying he's going to be a starter or anything like that, but my point is I think he's going to be reasonably productive, good, solid, you know, depth piece, and, and, and that's what they needed. That's what they probably needed. If you looked at their roster, that's probably what they needed the most. Yeah, I think he's certainly a better option. You and I spent some time talking about Greedy Williams last week, who's been hurt a lot and really hasn't shown a lot at the NFL level. This is a guy who has shown plenty at the NFL level. And it was a surprise, I think, at least from what I read, that the Texans cut him. He had been running with the ones down there. I think it was a matter of he was going to make some money and the Texans are going to be terrible. And, you know, why pay a guy, um, you know, $5 million or whatever it was if, you know, you're going to be terrible anyway. So that seems to be the choice that they made. I think it's probably similar to the Joe Hayden situation. I'm not going to say this guy's going to come in here and be the next Joe Hayden or anything, but it seems like at least the path that led us there was pretty similar. Um, Paul, I want to talk a little bit about the secondary at large now. Um, I, I guess specifically the cornerback group. You've got Levi Wallace, who's who's in that, I think, solid depth piece category. Maybe he can um, you know see some time on the outside this season. You've got Joey Porter Jr. You've got two former All-Pros now in Desmond King and Patrick Peterson. How do you feel about this group as a whole? Um, is this one of the best corner groups the Steelers have had since those you know Super Bowl days of 2005 to 2010? I certainly like it a lot more than, I've, than what they've had the last few years. Um, you know, again, it all comes down to Peterson and whether or not he can play at a high level still. That remains to be seen. But if he can, Adam... You know, I expect Joey Porter just to get better and better and better as he gets more experience. I mean, I think he's a really good player and he's got good pedigree. You at you know, so if you if you look at him and then you look at Peterson, um, you know, Peterson is who we think he can be. And and again, he's not going to be Peterson of four years ago, but I think he's still a really good player. The fact that you've got you know Levi Wallace and now this uh, what's his name Desmond King. I mean, I like it. I think they've got depth. I think that they have the ability, um, you know, when they have to put a third guy out there, it's going to be a good player, not a liability. Um, and I think that that's probably when we came into training camp, one of the questions facing this team was, you know, what's your cornerback group uh, going to look like? And quite frankly, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty good. Uh, I, I would, I'd have to really think long and hard about the last time I felt good about the Steelers top three corners, right. In terms of, okay, when they go to, uh, they, now they're going to put, you know, the package where they were going to put a third corner corner out there. Um, boy, I like, I like the, other, I like the two options that they have for that third corner. And I think that, the, again, I think Peterson is, if he's what we think he is, 
Joey Porter's just going to get better and better. This, this has a chance to be a really good group of corners for them. I agree, Paul. Um, I, I wanted to ask, too, who do you think the most imp- important player in this group is? I think, you know, Joey Porter in the long run is the guy you want to see, you know, turn out. You want him to be the cornerstone. You want him to be the guy that's in this, you know, corner group for the next five, maybe ten years. Um, so I think in the big picture, it's pretty easy to say Joey Porter. But in terms of just this season and what the Steelers are wanting to do, is it Patrick Peterson, you know, proving that he can still play? Um, you know, is it Desmond King coming in here and, um, you know, maybe getting a second lease on life going from one of the worst teams in the NFL to to a solid one that, that might be able to compete? Um, you know, if, if, if this group has a lot of success this season, who do you think is going to be the biggest key to that? Peterson, obviously, that's the question. I mean, that's the answer to the, that question. Because like I said, if he is who we think he can be, I think everything else falls into place, you know, and, and, I, and I believe that Joey Porter by midseason might be their best corner, right? But you have a guy like Peterson that gives you the luxury of allowing Joey Porter maybe a little bit of time to sort of get acclimated to the NFL and everything else without the pressure of maybe having to, 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 to cover the, the top receiver uh, for the other team. I think that's important. And, you know, it could be a thing of where Patrick Peterson's first eight games are are really, really important because, you know, that'll allow, for instance, Joey Porter to get to the point where in the second half of the season, now you've got a young, fast, athletic kid that you can put, you know, on the other uh, on the other team's top receiver, and you've still got a really good guy in, Pat, in, in Peterson to be, you know, sort of your second corner. So I, I think Peterson is the key. If he is able to play at a level reasonable, you know, to what he can be, Boy, I, I think this is going to work out really, really well for them. If he if he can't, then I think there's a lot of questions because I think that Levi Wallace and, and this Desmond King are probably best suited to be third and fourth corners as opposed to having to go out there and, and be one of their top corners. Paul, I wanted to also t- touch on the Steelers receivers with you. I think that's a topic you and I have come back to over and over again. Um, the, the last two guys on the roster ended up being Gunnar Olszewski and Miles Boykin, uh, guys we've seen on on special teams a lot for the last couple of years. Do you think that those were the right guys to keep, Paul? Um, or would you have liked to have seen, you know, maybe, maybe they make a move similar to um, what they're doing here with Desmond King and, and go find someone to build that depth a little bit more that may have been cut by another team? Well, I've been saying that, haven't I, Adam? I've been saying that all camp. I've been saying that all offseason. Um, you know, I'm convinced that Allen Robinson can be serviceable guy for them. I'm convinced that Calvin Austin can be a, a good player for them. We obviously know John, uh, Johnson and Pickens, but I just don't know that after beyond those four. And, and I, you know, again, I think Robinson is probably uh, just sort of a serviceable guy. So really be, it's like three. And in, in terms of Calvin Austin, I have to see him do it in, re, you know, in regular season games against defenses um, that have seen him and are designed to, you know, stop whatever he's going to do. My point is, I still think they need one more receiver. I, I, I really wish they would have went out and got one more guy. Um, I just think that if you drop off a cliff, you've got, you know, Johnson and Pickens, you know, and then maybe a little bit less here. You've got Robinson and maybe Austin. But after that, man, I, I, I don't know who I like as their fifth guy. Now, it won't matter if they all stay healthy. 
you know, uh, and I don't anticipate they're going to go five wides too often. So, you know, it won't necessarily matter that much unless one of them gets hurt. And if one of them, you know, or God forbid, two of them gets hurt, I don't know what you have. I don't know what you're left with. So I would have let, liked to see them go get a veteran guy, somebody who maybe was cut by somebody else, uh, just to upgrade that sort of final spot. But, you know, I get it. I understand it. They're going to roll with what they got right now. Yeah, I, I think there's still time, Paul. We're still over a week away from the opener. Maybe maybe there's someone that catches their eyes, someone they bring in. Um, you know, it's not impossible that another deal could be made between now and then, but it is kind of looking like this is the group that they're going to go with because I think they like Olszewski and Boykin because of what they can do on special teams. Uh, Paul, the last Steelers topic I wanted to hit on with you is what kind of stock do you want to put in Kenny Pickett's perfect passer rating? I know there's lots of people that have been very excited by what they saw from him. I know I have. I think he's made some really good throws, um, throws we weren't necessarily seeing him make with a, a lot of consistency last season. I think you've definitely seen some level of growth from him. Um, but I also, you know, like anything, sometimes it feels like you take the, oh, I think he's, he's better. He could be pretty solid this year. And it turns into, he's better than Joe Burrow, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Where, where, do you, where do you land on what Kenny Pickett's shown us in the preseason and what that means going into the year? I see a guy who spent the offseason working on his game. I see a guy who spent the OTAs, the mini camps, all that kind of stuff working with his receivers. I see a guy who obviously spent a lot of time in Matt Canada and really understands the offense, who has sort of taken the next natural progression and step in year two. Um, so those are all great signs. I don't care about preseason stats. I think they're, you know, they, 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 the, the only thing I'll say is it looked like he was making really good reads and really good decisions. And if he does that during the season, guess what? He'll be fine. So I, I feel like um, I, I understand why everybody's so excited. And I think that there should be a lot of optimism about, about the Steelers. I think they'll be better than they were. I think their offense is going to be a lot better. Um, but obviously, you know, this has to continue. And he's got to, you know, do this in the regular season. Where, when, again, in the regular season, teams are game planning. You know, they're going to be, he's going to be seeing some blitzes that maybe he's never seen or hasn't seen. Uh, there's different sub packages, right? I mean, it's going to be a completely different feel if you really think about it. Um, it's going to be a completely different feel for him in the regular season, but I don't know how anyone can't be at least encouraged. I don't think that's being a Homer. I don't think that's being, you know, rosy colored glasses. I don't think that's, you know, I think you, you watch what he's done in his body of work in the preseason and you say, okay, he looks like he's gotten better from last year to this year. So let's see where, you know, where that takes him. Yeah. I think to, I think about the, the throw to um, Pat Fryermuth against the bills, the the throw to uh, who was it Pickens in, in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, those were the types of throws that this offense hasn't had for, for years at this point, since Ben Roethlisberger's arm proverbially fell off. So, you know, I, I think it's showing the ability to do that is great. It's just like you said, can you do it against all pros? Can you do it against, um, you know, much more complex de defenses than you're seeing in the preseason. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Paul, we're going to move on here to the Pirates in a second, but just wanted to um, mention our second sponsor for the video, Goldberg, Persky, and White. If you were diagnosed with mesothelioma or lung cancer, call your local attorneys Goldberg, Persky, and White. For over 40 years, their firm has represented thousands of lung cancer and mesothelioma victims. 
call 1-800-COMPLEX or go to gpwlaw.com for a free consultation. Um, Paul, let's, let's dig into it with the Buckos here. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's been an interesting week. I don't even know who's in the pitching staff anymore. (laughs) Mitchell or Johan Oviedo. Like, I feel like those, it's a two man rotation and then just a parade of guys that they've just. Right. Rob, Rob Zestrizny started the other day. Um, it, it, it for as as good as they looked against Kansas City, which is a terrible team, but you know, give them credit; they took care of business. It's unbelievable that this is where we are in year four of a rebuild, isn't it? I mean, it, it like yeah. feels like things are bleaker now than they were a lot at this time last year when you had guys like Oviedo and Ortiz coming up here, and you said, "Oh, maybe these guys will, will show a little bit." I don't feel like there's anyone in that category this year, Paul. That you didn't know about before that's coming up and, and making you, um, you know, pay attention. Um, this is, this feels pretty bad. You know what Ortiz and uh, uh, Contreras and Priester all have in common. All of them have gotten worse. All of them have got, somehow they've gotten worse. And those were supposed to be three of like the cornerstone pitchers in your staff going forward. That's a problem. You know, Mitch Keller is what he is. Mitch Keller is Mitch Keller, you know, and I, I would expect they'll sign him probably to a two or three year deal in the off season, you know, but I have no problem with that, but he's not, he's not the guy that's supposed to be carrying your pitching staff. Now you hope that you have Paul Skeens, uh, uh, but ready by then, but we'll see. And of course, then of course, you've got to wonder if they're going to play the service time game and all the nonsense they do, you know, with that kind of thing. But, but, but Adam, They've all gotten worse. And, you know, Oviedo had a really nice start the other day. But at the end of the day, I don't know that he's been where we thought he should be either at this point in his development. So, um, you know, I know that uh, there's another topic about uh, Shelton here. But to me, I think it is all tied together, Adam. Like, if you're going to bring I – mean, if, if you're going to bring Shelton back, which I, I can't imagine they're not going to, right? How do you bring back Oscar Marin and all of the pitching instructors in the minors? That entire philosophy, whatever it is they're trying to do, however they, you know, they're, they're trying to teach these guys, you know, guy throws 97, six months later, he's throwing 92, you know, and, and it's, a, it's all a part of their approach. I, I got to be honest with you, Adam. Um, what we've seen in year four is not acceptable. And it's not about the win-loss record because they're going to win, what, about 73 games, 74 games, whatever. So it'll be a a reasonable uh, improvement. But to me, it's about individual players and and improvement of individual players. And like I said, Priester, uh, Contreras, Ortiz, three guys that you're supposed to be, you know, relying on for the next couple of years. All three have gotten worse. I don't know that Oviedo has gotten measurably better. I mean, you know, and, and now we're to the point where the pitching staff, like you said, uh, to use a phrase from Dejon, his uh, uh, waiver dude, the waiver dude we put up on the mound every night, it, it's absurd. It really is. 
Yeah, Paul, I want to dig into the the Derek Shelton and the coaching staff thing a bit because I think to your point, it's not as if their hands are completely clean on what's happening in the minor leagues. Like this, these these pitching plans come from the very top. They come from this major league pitching staff. But I mean, at this point, I don't know what anyone in Indianapolis is doing, Paul. This entire Ben Sherrington regime, and it's not just pitchers. You can say this about any number of young hitters too. They they show up here and they're not prepared. And so then I also look at, at Derek Shelton, like for Quinn Priester, what could they really have done with Quinn Priester in the, what, month he was here? <laughs> um, you know, isn't that on a certain level, the guys in the minors? And how much does that, how much is that a reflection on Ben Charrington, considering he's hired all these guys? This is, this is, you know, I think a reflection of him. Um, to me, I think it's much more a reflection of Ben Charrington than it is of Derek Shelton and, and the guys he has in the major league coaching staff, which is not to absolve them by any means. But you know, Ben Sherrington hired all these guys, and I don't, I don't know what's been happening in Indianapolis for five years now. That's I mean, the problem. That's the problem, Adam. You know, like when people want to give Shelton a pass too. I mean, I think Shelton probably hired, you know, had a hand in hiring these guys as well. So to me, it's like, okay, listen, if you want to make the case that Shelton hasn't had a lot to work with and yada yada yada, and he deserves one more year, I don't buy that. But I'll okay. I'll go with that. But if you're going to tell me that there's not going to be a full house cleaning of the guys below him, the pitching, the pitching coaches, especially the pitching instructors, the pitching coaches, Oscar Marin, his entire staff has to be cleaned out completely because whatever they're doing, whatever their approach is, however they're doing it, it's not working. It's actually making guys worse, not better, you know? And uh, I saw some of the, what was the guy that one of the guys that they traded to Tampa? There's another guy that they traded to Tampa that that all of a sudden magically is a really good uh, pitcher now for them. I'm, I was trying to well, is Stevenson, is Stevenson is that his name or is uh, he with uh, Florida? Yes, yes. Or Stevenson? He's with he's with Tampa, right? I think I mean, so. He go. I, I'm pretty sure he's with. I saw I saw a stat the other day. Someone you know, one of these pirate blogger type guys was like, "Yeah, it's amazing. Here's another guy that the Pirates couldn't do anything with." You know, and he's like in the top two or three in like about four categories among among. I think he's a reliever or something. But my point is, it, it, these guys obviously have talent because they go elsewhere and all of a sudden they get fixed. So to me, that is number one on all of the uh, on all of the offseason lists is they've got to get rid of and gut completely the pitching staff. I'm, and I don't mean the staff, the pitchers. I mean the staff of coaches instructors and everything else do you think that they know that paul because everything i've heard from this front office says oh you know we expected to be but right about where we are and right. you know, i kind of look at it as like two different if they end up winning 72 74 75 games is that technically a, a significant improvement absolutely if you look at what's happened since april though it's been roughly the same as it's been you know for right. the last four years of this charrington regime do you think that they look at the win total and say, we've made progress and, and we're just going to keep pressing forward with our plan? Or do you think that they look at these last four months and say, this team sucks and, and someone's got to pay for this regardless of what the final win total is? There's a certain arrogance about these people that are running the Pirates right now. So it won't shock me if they say, well, what do you want? We improved by 12 games. We improved by 12 games. It's working. What we're doing is working. I hope that's not the case, but everything that I've seen from Ben Sherrington, uh, Adam tells me it will be the case. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think those are the vibes that I'm getting. Even though you know, you see, you can see the guys who watch it every night seem to most understand what's going on here. And and I, I again, I just don't know how you look at what you've got with the pitching staff and can say a good job has been done here. And then that you know, whatever you got out of Vince Velasquez back in April, or whatever you got out of Rich Hill before he went off the cliff, now San Diego, that ended up being a pretty good deal, Paul. Um, yeah. I'll give him credit for that, but. You know, a lot of these guys that are not parts of the future were part of what are getting them to 72, 74 wins. Um, you know, it's not the organization doing it, Paul. And I think that's where there has to be an honest conversation is, yeah, you made improvement, but how much of that was those guys? I've been saying this since, like, February, Paul. I think this team is a lot like 2003, where they brought in a bunch of veterans, they carried them to 75 wins, um, but then the system was not prepared to take on the mantle and to keep moving the progress forward right, in right. 2004, 2005, 2006, which led to Dave Littlefield getting fired, Ben, you know, Neil Huntington coming in um, and, and basically tearing things back to the studs. And that's what made the, that's what made the streak so long, Paul, because right in the middle of that rebuild, it just blew up. It didn't right. work. And then you, you dragged out what would have been maybe 10 years of losing seasons into 20 and, and a record. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not so sure that that's not a possibility here. Are you? I think it's a very real possibility, you know. And I wrote about, I wrote a column about it where, okay, I'm looking around the the diamond, and I'm not sure I'm a, I'm I'm as excited as some people are about what the future is. Um, and, and I think that a lot of these young guys have a lot to prove. I just, I just don't know that they have the guys instructing them and developing them to get them to where they need to get to. And I think there's still some major holes that need to be filled. So I could absolutely see this thing blowing up in two years. If I squint, I can see it with the lineup, Paul. I mean, there, there's guys that like, I can imagine, I can imagine it. And it doesn't take yeah. too much imagination for me to say this lineup could be pretty good. I don't see it at all with the pitching. I, I, I think. It's and that's the so most important thing. That, and the pitching is what it is, is the key, right? Pitching is the key. That's the most important thing. And right now, uh, I just don't know what we're looking at for next year. Yeah, so we'll we we'll have plenty of time to talk about that as the season winds down here, Paul. Um, but this is week one of college football, so I'm excited to get into these matchups we have in, in front of us. Um, got one more ad read for you. Propel, 13 public charter schools in Allegheny County, build a solid academic foundation for lifelong learning and offer more personalized instruction at every level during your child's kindergarten through 12th grade education journey. Give your child the quality education they deserve. Learn more and apply by, to Propel Schools by visiting propelschools.org. Thank them for sponsoring this episode as well. Paul, Penn State, West Virginia is finally here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's generated more talk, especially locally, than I think I was into. I don't know if the rest of the Penn State sphere is as charged up for this game as it seems like a lot of people around here are. Um, what do you expect on, on Saturday night? Or what, what, what prediction are you going to make? I had Seth Engel, our Daily Collegian and Post-Gazette contributor, on here on Wednesday, and uh, he said 24-10. to 10. I said 35-10. to 10. 
I think it's going to be real hard for West Virginia's offense to do anything against this Penn State defense. But I'm not sure we're going to see the Penn State offense completely kick into gear either. What's your expectation for this game? Uh, I think it's going to be a blowout, actually. I think Penn State's going to pound West Virginia. I don't think West Virginia's offense is very good at all. I think West Virginia's defense is reasonably okay. Um, but I think it's going to be one of those games where West Virginia's defense keeps them in it for a little bit of time. But eventually a dam is going to break, you know, and it could be a game that's somewhat close mid midway through the third quarter that ends up a blowout. I just think that Penn State is so much better than, than West Virginia. West Virginia, to me, uh, and I get why they didn't do it, but um, I think they basically have punted on the season by bringing Neil Brown back. Yeah, you know, I, Neil Brown's a smart guy. I think he's he's got some good ideas about offense. I think he could be a great play caller for a good team. Um, but just with the limitations West Virginia has right now, I'm not sure he has that kind of like, you know, it took a guy like Bob Huggins and and his you right. know fourth personality to, to make that basketball program matter again. I think that's what it's going to take for West Virginia football is not, you know, a, a young up-and-comer. Um, I think it's going to take a, a known quantity that's going to bring people to Morgantown. And this, well, you know the known quantity. Football. You know the known quantity. He took his what was it? What are they? Jacksonville State or whatever it is? Jacksonville State, I think, is is where he's at right now. And they they won their first ever uh, one uh, FBS game last week, and that would be Rich Rodriguez. That's that. If they don't, if that's not who they hire, or at least try to hire, then I don't know that they're really doing themselves any favors. I think Rich is a, is perfect. He's a veteran coach. He's a West Virginia guy. He knows what it takes to win at West Virginia. Um, I I think he's the guy you bring in. He's he he becomes almost like your James Franklin, where he's a CEO, face of the program, and everything else. Uh, he recruits and and you know he, he hires a couple of really good coordinators and moves on. I think I think if they don't get Rich Rodriguez, uh, I can't think of many other names that are going to do be able to do that job. I'm glad you mentioned James Franklin in the CEO uh, position that, that a lot of us see him holding at Penn State. Um, your colleague at the fan, Adam Crowley, uh, suggested that Pat Narduzzi is a better coach than James Franklin and generated some online discussion. We're all we're here for discussion, Paul. So what, what do you think of, of that opinion? Um, I'll just parrot that and say, you know, let's let's talk about it. Do you think that that is a true statement in, I guess, the holistic sense? Because if you see James Franklin as a CEO, I think he's one of the best guys in the sport in that position. Right. So if you're talking about nuts and bolts on the field, um, you know, clock management, coaching. You know, I guess I could see the argument a little bit more. Then again, I remember that Pitt Penn State game. What was it, the last one in 2019? Yeah. Um, when he when he tried to kick that field goal from like the five yard line and got doinked off the upright and Pitt lost. I mean, he didn't. Ex- there's been moments where Pat Narduzzi has not painted himself in glory on that sideline for the Panthers either. No, uh, and I'll say this, and and uh, and, and then we got to wrap it up here. But I think they're the same coach, Adam. I think they're the same coach. I think the same frustrations I hear from Penn State fans about James Franklin, I hear from Pitt fans about Pat Narduzzi. Clock management, this, that, and the other thing. You know what I mean? The technical aspects of it. They're both great kind of CEO type guys. They're both great program builders. They're both great face of the program types that go sell the program, right? They're really good on the recruiting trail. They leave a little bit to design, uh, 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 you know, uh, to, uh, they leave a little bit on the table on game day. But here's one thing I'll say if you want to go with one measurement, okay, 
I would say if Pat Narduzzi was at Penn State, he would have a better record against Ohio State and Michigan. The problem is he would probably have a worse record against some of the other teams. Because James Franklin's good at beating all the teams they're supposed to beat. Uh, it's, it's, you know, finding a way to, to, to pull upsets. Narduzzi's been pretty good at that, uh, you know, figuring out ways to beat teams they're not supposed to beat. So that's where, that's where I would go with it. Paul, before I get you out of here, any thoughts on Pitt Wofford, what you want to see? Is there anything <laughs> you can see that will change your perception of this team? No, no, not at all. Sort of like watching Notre Dame Navy. I learned absolutely nothing about Notre Dame last week uh, because Navy is so bad. I mean, this is just one of those games. You go through the motions, you win. Next week against Cincinnati, we'll have something really to talk about. I agree. I'm looking forward to uh, this week one. I feel like a little bit of a warm-up, and then the action really gets intense here as we get into the rest of September. Paul, thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to talking again next week with some uh, actual games to talk about for once. All right, brother. We'll do it again, man. Sounds good. Talk to you all again soon. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.